0: This is, again, one of those sermons that is very uncharacteristic of the journey in which we are in the middle of a sermon series over the fruit of the Spirit, and that's a a list of very positive words on the surface, right? It's just a list of really positive words. At first glance in Galatians chapter 5, if we just pluck that verse out of its context and see that list of words, it's something we all want in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we are just to look at that list of words, Isn't it, it's just a nice list of words. right? Every one of them has a, such a positive connotation to them. Every single one of them gives us a warm and fuzzy feeling. I, who doesn't want more love and joy and peace in their life? Everybody wants that. Those are words that everyone uses and that every those are concepts that everyone wants in their life, and so when you if you just left it to this list of words, it would just be merely a list of characteristic traits that everyone aspires towards. But when we look at these words in the context of scripture, they begin to take on a, a more robust meaning there's there's so much more value to them to the Christian because they are they are packed. Packed with meaning, they are more than just positive characteristic traits that we should all display in our lives so that we can be known as nice people. Right? The, 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 we're talking about a way of life when we're, when we're looking at this list of characteristic traits. And so what we're doing here in this sermon series is to make sure we don't just have some surface-level self-help understanding of this list of nice words. We want to make sure that we're, we're actually creating awareness of the deep meaning that each one of these words have and how each of them are deeply rooted into the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we, we develop our understanding of every one of these concepts through the gospel because that's the context within which they lie. Paul is, is, is reminding the, the, the church at Galatia about the gospel. And so he's, he's telling them, bear the fruit of the Spirit, through what you know about the gospel. And so that's what we're doing. We want to make sure that every single one of these words has a very deep connection to the gospel of Jesus because that is the intent of this list that is the fruit of the Spirit. And so love, it's not just any love. We're talking about a love that is distinctly godly because God is love. That's our belief. And so this this godly love is distinctly sacrificial. It manifests in sacrifice. So when we're talking about joy, we're not just talking about any joy. We're not just just talking about a a big smile on our face and giggling, right? We're talking about a joy that is a joy in the Lord, a joy in who he is, a joy in his salvation that he has for us. That's that's a very specific, deeply rooted joy. We're, We're talking about a joy that can exist in the highest of highs and a joy that can also exist in the lowest of lows. We can take that joy with us to rock bottom because worldly circumstances can't interfere with that kind of joy. It's beyond this world. And so what we're talking about peace last week, we're not just talking about any peace. We're talking about the peace that we have with God. It's peace that he made with us by sending his son, the Prince of peace. And, and by extension, and by living through him in, in Christ, faith in Christ, we get to be peacemakers and create peace, actively create peace where there is none. It's what we aspire to. It's, it's rooted in the gospel. Every single one of these has to come back to the gospel or else it'll just be a list of positive words. And so all these concepts are so important to us. And as we press into the gospel, what we're told in scripture that happens, as we press into the gospel of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit begins to take root in our heart in such a way that we manifest these concepts distinctly in a godly way in a special way, in a specific way. That's how, that's how the Apostle Paul says this is going to unfold. We press into the gospel, and when, when, as we do that, by the grace of God, we see the Holy Spirit doing a work in our hearts and begin to manifest, manifest these specific concepts. He says in Second Corinthians chapter 3, as we behold the glory of the Lord, that is Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's specifically how he says this is going to happen. And so every single one of us here, we fall short, ultimately, at displaying these these characteristic traits in our lives perfectly. We all fall short of it. We can't perfectly do it. We can't can't even consistently do it some days, right? But what we're told in, in Scripture is we are a work in progress. So we'll backslide, we'll relapse, we'll have bad days. Some days, we'll be better. And if we want to have more of those better days, we need to press into the gospel. Isn't it a relief that the scriptures are, are it's, the scripture is so clear to us that we're a work in progress? To me, that's just a huge relief. We are a work in progress, and so it's, it's painfully clear some days how, fall, how, how, how much I fall short of all of these things. But through Christ, I am told in scripture that God will never get, give up on me. He's never going to stop working on me no matter how much I mess up, no matter how much I screw up my life. He's never going to abandon me. I am a work in progress. That is a relief. That's the gospel. Like, like I think sometimes we, we get that wrong, we forget that, because... We have these cultural ideas of God that swirl around where we live our lives and what we're told and what we see on TV and how God is portrayed in different venues and different platforms and things like that. And we get God all wrong all the time. We start to develop this idea in our culture that God is just mad all the time, right? He's just waiting. He's just on standby, ready to just punish you for every single thing you do wrong. We have that, that cultural understanding of God. He just... He just, can't wait. he just relishes in the opportunity to torture you, to be mean to you. But what we see in Scripture, the, the God of the Bible, is infinitely patient. Infinitely patient. And that's the fruit of the Spirit that we're going we're to emphasize. We're going to zero in on today is, is the fruit of patience. How patient are you? So we're going to talk about three things. Here's the summarize of the sermon today. We know God is patient. Because of what the Bible teaches about God. The second thing is, we know God is patient because he loves us. And the third thing is, we know we can grow in patience through the Spirit. And develop more patience with others. And we can become more patient with God. We can wait on his timing for things. And there's a purpose behind that. So that's, that's kind of what we're, we're talking about. But number one is, we know God is patient through his word. I mean, when, when we look through the pages of Scripture and read about God's relationship with his people, it's kind of like this relationship between a father and his children. And we see many times in Scripture God is, re, is referred to as the father, right? And so there's still wrath, there's still consequences for people's actions, but his love never stops for them, just like you parent your kids. Right, we, we love our kids, and but no matter how terrible they are, no matter how awful they are, they may have, there's going to be consequences sometimes. And sometimes they're going to feel dad's wrath, <laughs> but dad's never going to stop loving them. That's, that's a healthy, that's a healthy relationship, right? The healthy version of that relationship. Well, the healthiest uh, version of this relationship is displayed in God's love for his children. I right? he just has this unstoppable love, unstoppable love for his children in the Bible. He never, ever gives up on his people. He constantly pursues them. He has this unrelenting, unrelenting love, this unrelenting pursuit. And so there's verses, when you, every one of these things, when you start looking up, just like searching for this concept in Scripture, you just get immediately overwhelmed. Every single one of these words in the fruit of the Spirit, you just get overwhelmed with passages of Scripture that emphasize this concept and emphasize this character trait in God, and so you just get completely overwhelmed. But I want to zero in on one. That's one of the most popular. And if you start searching, this is the one that's gonna it's gonna come. It comes out of Exodus, chapter thirty four, verse six. And this is God describing Himself. This is not Moses. Uh, this is not Moses describing God. This is this is the Lord describing the Lord. It says, "The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious." slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The epitome of what it means to be patient. But what, what's profound to me about that specific verse, the go-to verse about how, how God is patient, the profound thing to me is where it's located and when it is said. So when you go to, when you go to Exodus and you start looking at the context of where that verse is, it, you remember the moment in Exodus when, when Moses goes to Mount Sinai, and he goes up on Mount Sinai and he, he receives the Ten Commandments from God. And so he's up there for quite a while. And, and what are the people of God doing? They, they've, been, they've been delivered from slavery and they're there at the, the foot of Mount Sinai waiting on Moses. And what are they doing? They, they, it's one of the most infamous moments in Scripture the, 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 the moment where they, get, they gather all the gold. Oh, God's delivered us sl- from slavery. We're free. What do we do? Let's get all the gold and make a golden calf and worship the golden calf and give that calf credit for our deliverance. And so Moses comes down from the mountain. He's holding the Ten Commandments in his hand. And he's looking at the people of God, and he's just like, "Well, it was a good run. We, we made it this far. We were technically delivered from slavery, but we're, now we're doomed. It's over now. So he, he breaks the Ten Commandments. He's furious. He rebukes God's people. It's like we're doomed. God's going to kill us all. What are you do- I mean he's just furious with God's people. And he goes back up to Mount Sinai and that is when we get this verse. That is the point the point in which Moses is like we're doomed it's over. There's no way. That's the point in which God proclaims of himself the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He corrects Moses. So mercy, grace, slow to anger, that's what patience really amounts to, right? I mean, it's the, those are the qualities that, that that are the epitome of what it means to be patient. But yet we always doubt God is patient with us. Why do we always doubt that God is, is patient with us? Or Why do we always doubt that God is patient with others, especially, right? It's because... You know we struggle with patience. We doubt he's patient because we struggle with patience, and we always project ourselves onto God. That's we're guilty of this in so many different aspects. So when we think about God's patience, we just figure he's like us. We figure he thinks like us. We figure he acts like us, and, and we always get God wrong. And so, so when people wrong us, when when we. Or at the other end of that injustice, what do we do? Like, mercy's not on our mind. We're ready to go Cobra Kai on people, right? No mercy. No mercy's what's on our mind. So we think God's like that. So when we think about grace, like when there's an injustice against us, what's our saying? Don't get mad. Get even. But yeah, we don't even we don't even go for getting even. No one likes a tie, Right? When someone does us wrong, we don't, we don't, the saying, don't get mad, get even, that's not even right. We know that's not right. Don't get mad, get them back and win. That should be the saying. None of us believe, don't get mad, get even. Right? We, we blacklist people when they sin against us. We hold grudges. We harbor hatred. That's what feels natural and comfortable to us. Like The path to being angry is just short. It's a quick trip. We know right where to go. We can get there blindfolded. We can lose our patience so quickly. So we just figure God is like that. This is why we need the Bible to renew our hearts and minds. This is why we go to scripture to understand who God is. Because if we don't go to scripture, we'll make all of these assumptions based on who we are and we'll get God all wrong. So we go to God's word and we we correct the way that we think about God and, and and the correction that needs to happen when we read scripture is to understand that God is—he's just infinitely patient. God's people are just messing up over and over. Like you read through the Old Testament, it's just one story after another after another after another of God's people making mistakes, acting corrupt, doing the wrong thing, and yet He still loves them. He's still patient with them. There's consequences. There's some wrath. But he's still, he's just an unrelenting love. He's, it's, it's just, it's an unconditional love. It never ends for his people. He's so, so patient. Even the worst of the worst can be loved by God. And that makes us uncomfortable deep down. Like, the worst of the worst are still loved by God. Like, it, that's, that's incredible to us. Because deep down, we don't think like that. But his love, it's an unconditional love. It's overflowing with patience and the way that you change how you think about that is you realize and you remember that he loves you. If God loves you, he can love anybody, right? You know God's patience is patient because of his word, but you know God's patient because he loves you. You know it takes patience to love, patience to love you, right? You got to know that. You know you know the darkness that's in there, like, right? Like you may have those around you fooled I can really I can easily pull that trick as a pastor, you know, fool people and think I got it right all the time and I'm always good in my head. I know what's in there. I know the thoughts that are creeping around. I know the sin that's in there. We're all flawed. So God's gotta be patient. I gotta believe God is patient if I got if I'm believing that He loves me. That's exactly how the Apostle Paul, I'm stealing, I'm stealing a concept from the Apostle Paul. So he wrote the majority of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul, when he's sharing his testimony, that's the way he often shares his testimony. Here this guy is, like he's, he's written the majority of the New Testament. You would think, well, surely this guy would have it together more than anybody else. But yet when he shares the gospel with others, he is convinced of the patience of God because God loves him. And that's how he shares that hope with other people. Let me read to you out of First Timothy. It's in the first chapter. If I can find it, I even cheated and put bookmarks here, still can't find it. First Timothy, in the very first chapter, he says in verse 12 through 17, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorant in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received a mercy for this reason. Here's the reason why he says he received mercy. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks out into praise. He just breaks out into praise in the first chapter of that letter to the church of Ephesus there. He's like, oh, I know God's patient. I can tell you firsthand God is patient because he's patient with me. He was just showing off his patience when he saved me because I'm the worst sinner I know. That's Paul's posture towards this church at Ephesus. I'm the worst person I know because I don't have, I've not fooled myself. I know what's in there. So I, I'm convinced God is patient and I'm convinced he was proving to everyone how patient he is by saving me, the, the biggest opponent. Right? I mean, when we studied the life of, of the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts, we, we, we studied his life extensively whenever we went through that book for a year. It was a couple of years ago now. It seems like just yesterday. But Paul, he had such a, a fascinating life. And his conversion is the most exciting part, like of Acts. Seeing the conversion of Paul, who's just so anti-Christianity. He's so anti-Jesus. And, and, and so Paul was the type of person that he knew on paper God was patient. He knew on paper. He understood the, the scriptures. He understood that, that God was infinitely patient on paper. He could tell you the verses. He could, he could recite Exodus 34 from heart. He was trained from, from the time he was a teenager through his adulthood by the best teachers in the Hebrew nation, like Gamaliel. He trained under, under Gamaliel. He was like one of the most famous teachers. And so Paul just grew into this theological and doctrinal juggernaut. He was ready to face anyone to talk about doctrinal issues and things like that. He was a teacher and knew what he was doing. He didn't, just, he didn't just hate Christians because it was cool to hate Christians. He, he understood the arguments against Christianity. Not many of those walking around. But he understood. He, and he understood God was patient on paper. But before his missionary journeys as a Christian, he went on missionary journeys to persecute Christians, right? He was actively seeking out Christians to make sure they would end up in jail, actively seeking them out to watch them being stoned and persecuted and and, and, and so Paul's like, man, if, if God was going to lose his patience with anyone, wouldn't it be me? He had a reputation amongst Christians. They feared him. He's like, I'm a believer now, guys. If God was going to lose his patience with anyone, you would think it would be me. I would be the first one he would lose his patience with. But he, his patience is perfect for his children. And so he showed me patience. God saved me. He changed me. He broke me. And it was in a good way. Best way possible. It was all to display his perfect patience. And so Paul's posture, again, if, if he was patient with me, he'll be patient for you. So for Paul, the, the reality the reality of God's patience through the gospel to save his soul and change who he, he was, it changed how he interacted with everyone in the world. That's how the fruit of the Spirit should work in our hearts. God is patient with us. When that becomes so clear because of our sin, We develop a new capacity for patience to show other people patience and to show patience towards God and to wait on his timing because we know it it must be perfect because it worked out perfectly in our lives. How patient are you? So if you had to to examine yourselves and we all had a scorecard in front of us with a scale of one to ten, one being not patient at all, we'll just put like a stick of dynamite there, and 10 being the most patient person ever. Right. Put like a monk over here or something. Where are you at on that scale? Where, where, where is your, where, where's your patience meter at today? How much does it fluctuate throughout the week? Right. many of you are dealing with work circumstances that are like, it's like Chinese water torture dealing with it all the time. Right. And so you've just lost some patience this year. You've lost some ground when it comes to displaying patience in your life. You maybe you got some health issues that are just dragging you down and so your, your ability to be patient is just not what it used to be. You don't feel like you're growing in patience, you feel like you're losing the war for patience. Maybe it's the relationship in your life that is just, it's got the same problem over and over. You know, that's, that's when we really lose patience in a relationship. It's not just when we have that problem once. It's when that same problem happens over and over and over again. And you may have success for a while, but you eventually come back to that same problem. And every time you circle back to that problem, you have a little less patience to deal with it. And so over time, you're like, man, I'm just not patient anymore when it comes to this, especially. Maybe, maybe your wick has shortened this year like mine has. Man, I know mine has. But some people, just, they just ooze in patience. They ooze it, you know, like the people you get around, and you feel like you're walking on eggshells. They're they're on the they're on the cliff, they're ready to jump off, and you know it. And so you just feel like you gotta you gotta be easy. I just don't. I desperately don't want to be that guy. I desperately don't want to be that guy, but I feel like I'm that guy sometimes, in my mind. All right, I know what's going on in here. Like there's there's so there's a show I've been watching recently. It's Alone. Have you watched the show Alone? It's like the new Survivor, but it's not. Alone is like where they drop 10 contestants in the middle of nowhere. And the last person surviving alone wins $500,000. It's a fascinating concept. If you've never seen Alone? It's awesome. I'll talk Alone with you all day. I just finished, like I've seen every season now, of Alone. But there's one contestant on Alone. He's so mad. <laughs> he just, he's not patient. Anything that goes wrong, he just loses his mind. He loses his patience instantly. His name's Larry. And Larry, it's a perfect name for a guy that's like that too. And so Larry is just like, like he's walking along in the woods and he's, he's, he trips over a root. And so what does he do? He just loses, he, he irrationally just stomps on the root like it's a person that like grabbed his ankle when he was walking by. And he just gets furious, loses his mind. And he's, he becomes so irrational every time he gets mad. Like he's laying in his, in his grass hut and the mice, right? The mice find their way into the hut. And he gets so mad at mice, like... No one likes a mouse in the house, but this guy just, I mean, he loses his mind. What, there's one night he gets up, he just starts throwing everything out of his hut, and he's like, I'm going to burn it down. I'm gonna. And there's this part of me that like, just, yeah, I connect with Larry. <laughs> when, he, when he threatens to burn down his entire hut and just lose the whole game in an instant over a dumb mouse, I'm like, do it, Larry. Do it. Burn the hut down. <laughs> I'm like rooting for Larry to do something stupid. Because I, I feel like, Larry is like this outward representation of, of sometimes this little battle. I feel like I got a little Larry that lives in there. <laughs> like, burn it down, Larry. <laughs> he just gets so mad. But you know, sometimes we just we deal with problems and we deal with issues in our life, and our wick just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. We make the habit of not pressing into the gospel and we lose all sorts of ground on patience. Maybe you've even begun to, to lose patience with God. Doesn't it almost sound like it just sounds wrong to even say that out loud? Have you lost your patience with God? That just sounds like like I shouldn't even say that as a pastor from the pulpit, but I'm just being real with the feeling that, uh, that many of us have when we're going through issues that just won't go away. We begin to lose our patience in God. We pray, and that issue's still there. We pray more, and that family member still has that problem. We pray more and we still have that pain. We pray more and we pray more and we pray more about this issue at work and, that, and, and the issue just not only does it not go away, it gets worse. And we begin to lose our patience with God and, and we lose ground on patience because we're not pressing into the gospel. We're not trusting him in our lives. We're just throwing a fit. We're throwing a fit. We're forgetting the gospel and we're displaying irrational anger. From an, an incorrect posture. So that, that's, that's what I want to think about today. Think about your posture. Think about how you press into the gospel. How this works, right, is how Paul explained it there in that passage in 2 Corinthians I read to start the sermon, right? As, as, as we live in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit inclines our heart towards the gospel. And as we press into the gospel, the, the Holy Spirit is a work in our hearts so that we can, we can hear that gospel with clarity, we can, we can see that gospel with, with precision. And we, we, we see this relationship we have with God through Christ. And as we press into that relationship, we experience patience. Patience with the relationships around us that aren't going the way we want. Patience with prayers not getting answered the way we would like. Patience with the mice running through the hut, whatever it may be. The Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts. This is a fruit of the Spirit, and we need to press into the gospel in belief, and we'll feel this peace in our life that's, that, in this patience that is profound. It empowers us to be to be patient towards others. You know, there's the there's a great parable in Matthew that Jesus teaches in Matthew eighteen. And so this, let me give you a little context about this parable. Context is, I'm always about context, context, context. Is, I'm always worried I'm going to represent a passage of Scripture incorrectly. But this is a moment, right before Jesus teaches this parable of the, of the unforgiving servant, it's a moment in which Peter comes up to Jesus, and he's just kind of losing his patience with people. And so he asks Jesus this question, how forgiving should we be? That's basically what he's asking. How, how long do we put up with people? How many times do we forgive people? Like, should we forgive them seven times? Like, he's trying to be admirable at that point, because it's like, it's, it's part of Jewish tradition. Like, you, they have a kind of a, a three-strike policy. You know, after that third strike, you just kind of move on. But he, So Peter's asking this question from an admirable posture. Should we forgive people up to seven times, you think, Jesus, because we're extra good? And Jesus is like, no, seven times seven. Uh, he's not getting at a specific number there. He, he's saying you should always be patient and forgiving of others. And then, and then he shares this parable. He's like, here, let me let me teach you, Peter, what I'm trying to say. And let me teach you a posture of patience. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. That would have been like... A million kazillion dollars. That's what that means. Verse 25, he goes on in the parable. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. But when the same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, it's like five bucks, and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. It says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. And then Jesus summarizes it like this. He said, I said all that to say, in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you were not forgiving of your brother from your heart. See, so the, the message in that parable is so radically clear. Like, those, that's one of those parables you really don't have to explain. I mean, it's just so clear that that guy was forgiven a million kazillion dollars. His debt was forgiven, and then somebody owed him five bucks, and he hasn't thrown in jail. The audacity. The audacity of this guy is just like, how in the world are you going to choke out your buddy for owing you five bucks? when your debt of a million, gazillion dollars is gone. What Jesus was teaching to Peter in that moment, asking about forgiveness, he said, you're in with other people. It's an injustice to the kingdom of heaven. It's an injustice towards God that you would not be willing to forgive others. It's an injustice towards God that you would not be willing to show patience towards other people in your life. It's, it's a radically clear message. So the way in which the gospel gives us this power to endure is to realize who we are before God. Realize who God is and who we are before him. We've been forgiven by his son. Who, who can we not forgive now? So, so the word for patience in your Bibles, if you've got a King James Version, the word's not even patience. It's long-suffering. And honestly, when you look at the Greek translation and how that word is used in that culture at that time, long-suffering, that's the word that should be used. This is... This is one like, if you had the scorecard with different translations, this is one of those times where King James gets the thumbs up here, right? And we can have, there's all sorts of those arguments and things, but it comes down to a translation issue. Long-suffering, man, that's the patience. The, the ability to endure for a long amount of time, to, to continue suffering. The gospel gives us a new capacity for long-suffering. We can endure. It's not that we don't suffer it's that when we do suffer we suffer well that's that's the fruit of the spirit of patience we suffer well especially with the shortcomings of others we do this because that's what our king does that's who he is we aspire to be like our king jesus who was the suffering servant no one suffered like him god's perfect patience It was displayed, it manifested in Christ on the cross. I mean, he perfectly displayed this this notion of long-suffering. No one suffered better than him. Jesus had this profound trust in God the Father when he was suffering. A profound trust. You could see it in his prayers. You can see it in his posture when he lived his life, when he would suffer. He just trusted and was patient on the timing of God. It was still uncomfortable it wasn't fun the feelings of of despair were overwhelming at times he's he's in tears sweat sweating blood right remember praying in the garden of gethsemane but he trusted his life to the to the father he suffered well and so when the apostles would begin would would begin writing letters to the churches and sharing the gospel with them and trying to encourage them they would always Come back to this notion of being patient, being patient like Christ. No matter how bad your scenario is, be patient like Jesus was patient. You can suffer more and keep suffering because you are a part of the kingdom of God. You know that this, these circumstances don't have the last word. And so we can be long-suffering like, like Christ, and, and we can trust our lives to God. Even, even there was times when Peter would be writing to Christians who were in slavery He's trying to encourage Christians who are living in a life of, of slavery. We just can't imagine. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he's, he's trying to encourage the Christians who are slaves to suffer well. He says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continue entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He bore himself or he he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. See there there is encouraging. Christian slaves to keep enduring, man. Don't give up. Be be patient. Suffer well. You you have the capacity to be long suffering because Christ perfectly displayed suffering. You can suffer well because he suffered well. And and so he, he would bring them back to the gospel. He would say, like, look, Christ was crowned king through his suffering. So we can suffer. Christ redeemed creation through his suffering. So we can trust God has a plan for your suffering too. God was sovereign the whole time throughout all of the sufferings of Christ. God was sovereign through that. None of those circumstances, again, had the last word. And so your circumstances will not have the last word either. You can suffer well. You have reason and empowerment through the Holy Spirit to suffer well. For those who are in Christ, we entrust our souls For the same reason, to him who judges justly. And so, it's a great comfort, right, to live with that type of hope. And so, like, in your life, like, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how awful the circumstances are, Christ is still seated on the throne. He's still... still you know, it, it secured our salvation through his suffering. So nothing's going to remove him from that throne. Nothing can happen here and nothing can happen to you. Nothing can happen to your children that will dethrone Christ. That's the foundation upon which our long suffering sits. Like nothing catches, nothing catches God off guard. Nothing confuses God. Nothing complicates him in a way that he can't sort things out in the way that he wants to. You and I are caught off guard all the time. Right? We we we're, we think things are confusing and complicated and circumstances just seem like a rat's nest sometimes. But it's never that way to God. Don't project yourself onto God and who he is. Like that's not that's not him, that's you. But because of who he is, we don't have to panic. We can be uncomfortable and and we can be confused and caught off guard and uncertain but But we don't have to panic because we know God is sovereign. So we entrust ourselves to him and we suffer according to his will. According to his purposes we'll suffer in our life. Isn't that just an uncomfortable thing to think about? 1 Peter 4, verse 19, he goes on to keep encouraging those, those Christians let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The premise of that long-suffering is a trust in Christ and a trust in who God is. What better day to consider that than Easter Sunday? This is the, the biggest reason we have for patience, right, is, is right now. Easter Sunday, when when we remember that Christ rose again, he suffered and died on the cross, and... And he rose again on the third day. His, his death on the cross and his suffering, it was the most unjust suffering ever. Like this is a man that was without sin. He committed no sin. And yet he was executed on the cross. He was crucified. The worst thing that's ever happened, the most unjust thing that's ever happened in human history is precisely what God uses to secure our redemption. The best thing. That's ever happened in human history. He took the worst thing to make the best thing. We have reason for long suffering. We have reason to, to to be patient. It all happened at just the right time. God's timing is perfect on a level we can't even fathom. Sometimes we have problems waiting on God. We get frustrated waiting on him and his timing. And, and we say things like, well, I just don't understand God. I just don't know the timing here. I, I just don't. And we, we start to doubt and worry and, We stop praying and start to lose our patience towards God. What we learn in the Bible is his timing is absolutely perfect in every circumstance. We know that from the gospel. That belief is rooted in the timing of the gospel. In Romans 5, 6, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What a profound phrase to consider. At the right time. The gospel unfolded at just the right time. God's timing. You think about that moment in human history. It happened at just the right time. The timing was precise. It was exact. 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet, the ripple effect is still happening. We're still talking about this. His kingdom is still expanding. We're still glorifying God and remembering the day he rose again. We're still proclaiming the gospel and and being the church. You think of all the moments in history that that could have happened and. And maybe it wouldn't have gone anywhere. It was at just the right time. The worst circumstances possible. The worst, most unjust situation. At just the right time. To bring about the best thing ever. The salvation of the people of God. Nothing is stopping it. Right? World wars didn't stop it. Right? Pandemics don't stop it. Everything happened at just the right time. To where it's still expanding. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. So as we patiently wait on the return of Christ, we share this hope and we live with the fruit of this of the spirit. We live with the fruit of patience in our life to proclaim his glory until he returns. And that in and of itself is how God shows his patience to other people. So it's it's our patience with God that God uses to show his patience to others and expand his kingdom. Again, I, this is I'm just copying Peter here. Peter chapter three, he, he, he has this, this couple of verses here that just, it's targeting those of us that are worried about God's timing. It's targeting those of us that are frustrated with the timing of God, that we're sick of waiting on God, we don't understand God's timing. So he writes to people who think like that, and his, here's what he says. He goes, let me, let me tell you about the timing of God. He says, but we do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day, is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Sometimes your suffering, your long suffering, and your display of that fruit of the Spirit, putting up with others, being patient with others when they don't deserve it, enduring through their crap, it's a way that God, he displays his patience and, and his, his patience, his perfect timing can manifest in their lives, that they can feel, they can taste the fruit of that spirit in your life. And, and they begin to be receptive and open to the gospel. And we get to see the kingdom continue to expand and the ripple effect of the gospel that happened at just the right time continues. And so that's our hope today. I hope you heard the gospel with clarity. I hope that you pressed into that truth of the gospel today so that you can see the fruit of the spirit manifest more in your life. And we're going to close our service by remembering the gospel in a time of communion. And so we take that bread, we take that bread to remember the righteousness of Christ. And so we know we're not perfect. We know we're a work in progress. We put faith in the righteousness of Christ. When we stand before God, we're not hoping we did just enough. When we stand before God, we can stand there in Christ. He was enough. We take the juice to remember that you know, when we stand before God, oh no, did I do? Did I make up enough ground to cover over the sin that I committed in my life? No, so we take the juice to remember Christ on the cross was enough to atone for your sins. We keep pressing into that gospel truth. We're free in that truth. And, and, and the Holy Spirit will manifest the character of God the more we press into that in our lives. That's our hope. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And then we'll go into a time of worship, and I'll read Scripture to us. We'll take it together simultaneously. Lord, we thank you so much for your gospel that empowers us to be patient, that displays your patience to perfection. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have this hope and this encouragement to endure, to be long-suffering all to your glory. There's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it, Lord. If you can take the most unjust circumstance that's ever happened and make the best thing that's ever happened from it, Lord, we know that we can trust you and be patient on your timing and be patient with others in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for this gospel truth and help that gospel truth, Lord, as we take communion to just take deeper root into our lives to your glory. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.